Inspired Execution is a podcast where tech leaders from global enterprises discuss their journey to scaling billion-dollar businesses. Chet Kapoor is chairman and CEO of Datastax, with more than 20 years of experience working with global enterprises. Join us to hear about the experiences and mentors that played a role in their growth. A 20-year veteran of Jackson Financial, Dev Ganguly is SVP and CIO of their North American Business Unit. Dev has always been passionate about protecting retirement income so people can enjoy financial freedom for life. He has a passion for AI, loves a good Malcolm Gladwell book, and is in constant pursuit of new technologies. Dev tells us how he leverages his learnings from industry mistakes to become an influential leader. Dev's key mantras for inspired execution are feeling comfortable taking leaps, growing together through hard work, and constantly innovating. Dev, thank you very much for joining us for the Inspired Execution podcast. Really appreciate you making the time to make this happen. It is great to get back in touch with you after a few months. First of all, thank you for inviting me to do this. Looking forward to the conversation. Protecting retirement income so people can enjoy financial freedom for life is a very inspiring mission, right? It's one, anybody that gets done with college gets going, they think about financial freedom for their lives, right? They think about it from the beginning, they think about it in the middle, they think about it at the end. You've been at it for 20 years. As you reflect on your own experiences that that have led you to be a CIO, what came easy? First of all, thank you so much for this question because even before I answer this question, I will start off on how important that financial freedom for life is to me. It's a passion for me which is one of the reasons I have been at it for 20 years. I wanted to start off with that. But coming to your question as to what came easy, surprisingly enough, being in technology for the past 20 years, technology part actually came easy. Some of it is my background. I came from an engineering background. Some of it is because technology itself kept evolving at such a fast pace. The technology part actually came very easy. The other part which came easy was being able to form connections and being able to have good partners in that journey. Surprisingly enough, that part also came very easy because there are a lot of like-minded people like you and me who want to make a difference. Do you think the technology part came easy because you're an engineer or is it something we go to school we, we go and you know do any engineering degree or do computer science, but it's different in the outside world. Was there a transition period where it became obvious or it was just, it was obvious from day one? I think there was a transition period and obviously the engineering background helped. But what happened is I was fortunate to live in an age where the technology revolution far outpaced what I would need as toolkits to solve the problem. That also helped significantly. Now that transition did take time because if I remember early 2000s and late 1990s, we all wanted to build our own IP. We all wanted to build our own software. It was more competition than competition. And as the world moved towards more of that open source mindset, more of that let's share and grow together. That actually made the technology part even easier. And what was hard from your own experience that led you to become a CIO? The hardest part from my own experience, bar none, was shifting mindset of people. What I have realized is most people, most humans 
are not naturally built for the pace of change we are seeing. One of the quotes which I use quite a bit, it's not my quote, but uh, I love using it is, the pace of change has never been this fast, yet it will never be this slow again. And generally speaking, though people hear that, it's difficult for people to change their mindset and truly have that growth mindset. So the biggest aspect for me, not just as a CIO, but any of the roles I have is how to inspire people to be not just comfortable with the change, but be excited about the change and drive forward progress. That's very interesting. By the way, the pace of change is something that's definitely getting more and more rapid. And I feel like for some of the folks that are, I call them born on the web or digital natives, it's fairly obvious to them, right? I mean, they just they just roll with it and it becomes a part of them. But for those of us where we actually got adjusted to the web, got adjusted to a bunch of things around the web, it has been harder for us, right? The pace is something that we struggle with. We want to go back to the way we used to think about things when we grew up. Would you agree with that comment? I would completely agree with that. In fact, we are... I would say the transition generation when it comes to technology, because I would say the jump from, let's say, the web to AI, the dot-com to dot-AI, those significant for a digital native, it's very natural. Whereas transitions we had to make to a dot-com era and then to a dot-AI era and so on and so forth has been more visceral for us. The World Economic Forum has these different waves, right? And it definitely feels like the fifth wave that's coming, it's AI. It's like very compressed. The industrial wave, you know, took a solid 60 years. Mm-hmm. The industrial, the AI wave will take five. So there's, there's no disagreement on that. What helped you get people excited about the pace of change, right? Because I think I like the way you framed it. It's not just letting them adjust to the pace of change, but get them excited about the pace of change. It's always been one framing for me, which is keep the end customer in mind. And the end customer may differ, right? So we are a B2B business. So for us, the end customer could be an advisor who recommends our solution. It could be the actual end consumer. It could be a distribution partner we work with. But if we always keep the end customer in mind, and drive outside in from that point of view, that framing has always helped me to excite people to implement that change. And that's something which almost anyone can align themselves with. And the focus there obviously is that the the customer behavior is changing. And if you keep the customer front and forward, like, you know, one of the things as as product folks, right, we we have this... uh, acronym that we call KISS, which is keep it simple, stupid, right? And so if you keep it about the customer and the people that you're leading, that you are getting excited about the space of change, it's not about them. It becomes about the customer and serving their needs. Is that a good way to think about it? Absolutely. Look at different aspects of customers. When people can easily align themselves with the end consumer really well, but sometimes they don't align themselves as well with the intermediary. So in our business, absolutely we want to provide financial freedom for life for all those millions of people who are retiring every year. But we also want to look at that financial advisor who wakes up in the morning 
with the goal to help his or her consumers reach financial freedom for life and make sure we make her life better or his life better as well. So I think looking at the entire broad spectrum of your customers and driving towards that hyper-personalized experience for them, keeping that in mind can absolutely get your entire staff excited. I'm going to shift gears and ask you a different question now. I know you're very passionate about AI. You've spoken about bringing AI to address the retirement crisis. It's something you and I have talked about in the past. What progress have you seen and where do you, where do you see it going? This topic is absolutely closest to my heart. In fact, any of the time I spend 12, 18 months out these days, I cannot spend more than half an hour without somehow getting into the weeds of this topic. So really love this topic. I would say one of the misnomers I've heard is it's the machine replacing the human. And for me, it's very critical to start off on this topic by saying that it's a human plus machine experience. What I mean by that is coming back to again examples, when the stock market crashes and as an end consumer, when you look that market drop, you really do not want to go to a machine or a robot to get that empathy, to get that um, encouragement that do not act stupid and do something which will hurt your long-term goal of achieving financial freedom for life. You will want to talk to a financial advisor who you trust, who you have a good relationship with, and who you know is looking out in your best interest to do that. Now, saying that in the same breath, I would say, where AI can help is make that decision-making process for that financial advisor far more sophisticated than he or she could have done even five years ago. The quantitative aspect of his decision-making is going to improve, and it's also going to improve because of one fundamental thing, the amount of data that's out there now. Truly speaking, AI is important, but even more important for us is to liberate data because data is the fuel of this new economy. And the more data we have, the more capable the cognitive models or the AI engines are going to be. I have not talked to a single CIO that does not believe that data is and AI in that order is not their priority for the next decade. When you say liberating of data, what does that mean? So what it means for me is to start treating data as an asset. So if you look at uh, one of the mistakes I think we broadly as an industry did in the past couple of decades is we saw our apps and the functional capabilities as our assets. We saw our digital capabilities as our assets and data was kind of supporting the build out of those capabilities. We need to flip that model where data itself is seen as an asset and is managed as an asset. In fact, I would venture so much to say that for almost any organization today, after its associates, data is their biggest asset. And that mindset shift needs to come first. And once you get to that mindset shift, then you get to like data lineage, master data management, all of the, again, the technology part, again, in this example is easy. Once you get that mindset shift, I think that's where you get to liberate data really how it should be. 
and tell me if I'm off on this, it seems like we need to go from a process-centric world to a data-centric world. Absolutely, spot on. Absolutely spot on. So as you make this transition, you know, we've spoken many times before about the need for speed and our minds are mature and markets are not. And so reality is somewhere in the middle of those. How have you, I mean, I, I think you've inspired people by saying it's not about you, it's about the customer. How have you gotten them to move fast? What are the tips and tricks that you have employed to get people to move quickly? Because, you know, left to own devices, the transformation will take as long as we have. So Chet, this is a fun question for me because you have known me for years now. I have a strong bias for action. I always have been a believer of get stuff done. And I've always looked at how can we deliver value at a far more compressed timelines. When I took over as CIO, I think my two major themes was one was around get stuff done, but the biggest theme was zero to 190 days or less, which essentially was you need to deliver value in 90 days or less, whether you're delivering a new product, whether you are adding a new capability, whether you are building out even components of major ERP solution. And that resonated very well with people because people can resonate with value delivery. Obviously, you can add new frameworks like Agile's out there in the industry for a while. We have been pushing the move to Agile quite a bit. But again, back to what I had said earlier, you need to answer the why. It's not to move from waterfall to Agile. It's to achieve true business agility. And once you make that shift that you need to achieve true business agility, then the other things start falling in place whether it's the release pipelines, which you need for delivering code better, whether it's the digital architects, which you need to support your platform better, all those things start falling in place. As long as you make the journey about the why, in this case, for us, the journey always has been, how can we provide more business agility? I love that. I've always used a zero to 60 frame. I like going at 100 miles per hour. It's faster than 60. That's Me awesome. too. Me too. I've loved cars for that reason too. So <laughs> I'm going to use it. And every time I say 100, you know, zero to 100, I'm going to think about you, Dev. I know Malcolm Gladwell is one of your favorite authors. Uh, is there something particular in his work that has inspired you? Yeah. In fact, I think I've read almost all his books, but my favorite, bar none, has been the book Outliers. And obviously, in that book, he talks about outliers, people like Bill Gates. But interestingly enough, he also talks about importance of real hard work. In fact, one of the things which stuck with me from that book is 10,000 hour rule, which essentially says for you to have mastery in any topic, whether that topic is dance, whether that topic is programming, whether that topic is AI, you need to spend approximately 10,000 hours for you to be considered a subject matter expert. And that stuck with me because what it says is in today's world of hyper-personalized context switching, you still need to have depth. You still need to have time spent for you to be an expert in a topic. Do you think the millennials actually understand the 10,000-hour rule? It's not just the millennials. And I get this question, is, is it just the millennial generation? I, I think it's broadly speaking the negative aspect of our 
newly tethered world with our cell phones and with our google.com i think it's end to end we have this challenge i think even people like us who grew up understanding that rule better are starting to figure out that as long as you can do a google search we should be fine no that's a great perspective ken burns who you know wants yep. to produce a documentary on how inspired execution impacted your company enterprises the industry and the world at large and how it came about so when the documentary airs for the first time what will the narrator say in the 30 second promo to entice all of us to tune in i think the narrator will ask five questions do you and your company have a bias for action or a get stuff done culture do you and your company make innovation a habit with discipline or is innovation just a one off thing do you and your associates uh, have a lifelong learning approach do you celebrate failures and learn from it and last and in my mind the most important question is the pace of change truly exciting for you and your team if you answered no to any of these questions i would highly recommend that you watch this documentary <laughs> that was awesome that was awesome 0 to 100 in 90 days or less is the value pace we want in today's ever-changing world. With that at the forefront, remember the key points Dev concluded with in this podcast. Celebrating and learning from our failures allows us to be agile enough to move forward without hesitation. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Inspired Execution podcast hosted by Chairman and CEO of Datastax, Chet Kapoor. We have many more guests with phenomenal stories to come, so stay tuned. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the series to be notified when a new conversation is released. And feel free to drop us any questions or feedback at inspiredexecution@datastacks.com.